King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live on earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me, and so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, uh, I told them the dream, but they couldn't interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, uh, Belshazzar, chief of magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Please interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a great tree in the middle of the land. The height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches from every creature was fed from it. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, and he called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots be bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field." Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times has passed for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people." This is the dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. And so the king said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in the branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty, you saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Uh, let him 
live with the wild animals until seven times pass. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the Most High has issued against you, my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live among the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass before you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may then be that your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Isn't this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven years will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and, give, and God gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with dew until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an internal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this captivating story, we pray for understanding as to what you would have us understand from this here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're continuing, actually ending our fall uh, the theme of success. What does it mean to be uh, successful? We've been talking about this for the last couple of months. You can go to adventhope.org and catch up with all of the uh, messages on this subject. But uh, today, we're particularly talking about someone who had in, an incredible amount of material uh, success. It would, in fact, it would be hard to find a historical figure that was more successful than the great King Nebuchadnezzar, one that historians uh, affirm as being one of, the, one of the great rulers of human uh, history. 
He dominated the region in which he lived uh, through his military might and his political wisdom and acumen was esteemed by everyone. In fact, when he uh, faced a particular region, he did a, a particular thing. When he would take over a, a country or a, a people group, he would uh, incorporate the intelligentsia and the high-ranking officials of the region in which he was taking over into the Babylonian court. In Daniel chapter uh, 2 and 3 and Daniel chapter 1, we actually see this taking place. Daniel himself was incorporated into the into the, the, the system of Babylon. He was taught the culture, he among his friends and others, and this was a practice of, of Nebuchadnezzar. It was, a, it was a brilliant one because as the intelligentsia were uh, converted to the Babylonian ways, uh, they would go back and, and teach their people, and this just uh, made everyone embrace this, this culture. And so he had an incredible impact on what the known world of his time. And so it would be, again, hard to find someone more materialistically successful than great king Nebuchadnezzar. Now, by chapter 4, our chapter we just read for our text of emphasis today, we've already had three other encounters with Nebuchadnezzar, and so has Daniel. And so apparently they have become uh, friends by this time. Uh, Daniel's a high-ranking official. He's the chief of the magicians at this time. And you, you heard the story, all of the other uh, magicians and astrologers were asked to come. This is very remin- reminiscent of Daniel chapter 2. Again, a dream. Again, the king is, 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 is fearful. Again, he calls all of the other uh, counselors. Again, no one is able to, to respond and figure out what's going on. And again, Daniel comes on the scene to be able to interpret the uh, dream. And so they have a, a relationship, a, a, a one that seems very, very warm by the fact that when Daniel hears the dream, and then he's given some time to reflect on the dream, and, and God reveals to him the true purpose of the dream, Daniel is concerned for his sovereign. He's concerned for his king. He's concerned for his friend because he knows that the a dream a means that there is going to be distress for King Nebuchadnezzar. He is going to uh, lose his mind. He's going he's to have an, an, an episode of, 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 of mental incapacity where he is uh, to become like an animal. I mean, it's a really weird and strange story, but he's going to just completely lose it and be off in the, in the fields like an animal. And so Daniel was understandably concerned. I mean, can you imagine if you had to tell your friend that this is what was going to become of them? That would have to be a very awkward experience. And so Daniel is very, very uh, concerned about his friend. But what's maybe most interesting is like, what is the reason for this? Like, why is Nebuchadnezzar going to experience uh, this? Uh, And so apparently the king had fallen into the trap of being obsessed with his own self-sufficiency and therefore was full of a hubris. Uh, Think about what we read there Again, imagining Nebuchadnezzar up on the rooftop as he's overlooking this great city that he's built. And he says, isn't this great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, I have built this. And so it's with these words still on his tongue, the Bible tells us that the messenger uh, comes and confronts him and he enters into this period of seven years of Madness, And so we see a man who is successful by all accounts of 
of what it means to be successful in the world's eyes, and he attributes his success to himself and his power and his authority, and at some level that makes sense because he can look around and see buildings that were built at his command. And he hired the architects, and he uh, assigned the people to build them. And so he, as he's looking out, he's thinking to himself how awesome uh, he is. And so again, we see self-sufficiency, and we see uh, hubris. He came to believe the hype about himself and believed in his own uh, awesomeness. And we're reminded here of uh, the psalmist, uh, or the, the, the author of Proverbs, who writes in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, clearly, Nebuchadnezzar in that group, his, his pride has taken over, and he's very excited about what he has done. And so pride is a pretty big deal in the Bible, which leads to our, our first big question for today, and that is, well, why? Why is pride such a big deal? I mean, why would God deal with Nebuchadnezzar in this way, and, and why is, is pride such a thing and hubris such a thing that's talked about throughout the Bible as being uh, problematic? And as I was thinking about that, I remember Jesus' uh, own illustration for this. In, G, in John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus is very clear, like we need this connection uh, with God, and when we are separated from this, this uh, connection, we start thinking that we are able to be self-sufficient, that we can do things on our own, or we have done things on our own, and that we're pretty awesome, we get into dangerous territory because we're disconnected with the one from which power really comes. Now, I had to think about this illustration. It's a great illustration uh, from Jesus, but you know, I don't know how familiar you are with the vineyards. You know, we're here in 21st century New York, and um, most of us are not as familiar with agrarian things. I mean, some of you, you know, come from Northern California and the beautiful vineyards there, but I was thinking like, okay, well, what other... What other illustration would help us to kind of get the same, uh, the same point across? And so I'm, you know, searching on my smartphone, and then I thought to myself, you know, what about this, what about this smartphone? I'm going to get a little cheesy here, so bear with me, right? All right, so if the vine and the branches, what's like a corollary for us in, in, uh, here today in, in New York today? And so it's, the, you know, the smartphone and, and your, the Internet, right? I told you this is going to be cheesy. You know, you got this, this, this smartphone that has all this capacity and ability, but unless it's connected to the internet, it's like a calculator, a very expensive uh, calculator. Uh, last night I was downstairs, they're cooking uh, downstairs right now, but I, I, was, I was passing by because they, you know, our, our fellowship meal team, they're working overtime, 
Every, 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 by some, this is a little side note. Some of you are like, why don't we have meals every week? That would be lovely, but we got volunteers making food, and it takes a lot of work. So they were here last night. They've been here all this morning working away. Can you smell it, by the way? I'm like right above it. It's just, it's, it's so exciting. I know you want me to stop talking so we can get down to there. We're going we're gonna to get there. Anyway, I was, I was passing by the door, and I heard some, I heard, I heard some voices, and, and they sounded distressed. And so they were calling out to me because they had seen me, and they said, can you, can you come in here? And there was distress. And the distress was that the Wi-Fi was not working. <laughs> Is there anything worse than going to a place that, especially if it advertises free Wi-Fi, and then you get there with your very advanced smartphone, and you cannot connect? Is there anything worse than that? I know, first world problems, but bear with me. It's, a, you know, it's annoying, it's a big deal. So they were, very, they were very concerned that they were unable to connect to the Wi-Fi. And so I think that this relates to Jesus in the vine right. I am the internet, Jesus says, and you are the dumb phone, I mean smartphone. Without me, you can do nothing. See, uh, what Jesus is trying to get across uh, to us is when we start thinking that we are able to be self-sufficient and we get filled with uh, hubris, uh, the reality is we're, we're, we're in danger of being disconnected from the true power source, the one in which we get all of our, 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 our hope and, 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 and peace from. And so God wants to help us not fall into that trap of hubris. And so in this case of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who is, is definitely the, the king of, of hubris, God has got to reset things. He's got to help him to be uh, reconnected. And so in this case, it's a dramatic fashion. By the way, seven years, seven seasons. Now, why it took so long, we don't know. But, you know, sometimes it just takes a while to get through to people. And so apparently uh, Nebuchadnezzar was, he was, Thick skull. It took him a while, you know. So he's out uh, living as a, an animal in the in the fields, and his hair is long, and he's got talons for fingernails, and and it, it takes him seven years to turn his eyes to to heaven and recognize the hubris and the and the lack of connection that he's had. Now I don't know. Most of us have never been in an experience quite like Nebuchadnezzar because we've never been able to look out over our city that was built by our hands and say how awesome we are. But I would imagine most of you have had times in your experience where you know, things are going well enough that you get disconnected from God. Start feeling pretty good about uh, yourself, feeling pretty good, good about uh, what's going on in your experience and that you, you, are, you are disconnected and it's in those moments uh, when hubris and self-sufficiency can become a part of all of our experience. I would imagine that you've experienced this at some point in your experience. Now, th this leads to another question. What is it that causes a person to forget about their need with being connected and aligned with uh, the divine, with God? And I, there are a couple responses to that question. First of all, ironically, material success can do it. Material success actually can help us to be disconnected from God. And this is, again, somewhat ironic. Again, we think of, of Nebuchadnezzar up on that rooftop. Is this great Babylon not the royal palace that I have uh, built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar is the, the height of his uh, power. 
And so it's ironic that sometimes when everything is going great, those are the moments when we feel self-sufficient and that we don't need a connection with God. When the bank account is uh, full, when the job is going great, when the relationship is, is flourishing, it's in these moments that we're often in danger of hubris. Look out, oh, you know, maybe, maybe it's not as, as, as bold and, and conscious as Nebuchadnezzar, but in our, in our, in our hearts there's, there's a little feeling of my own awesomeness and a ability to get things done and to take care of, of business and to have this relationship and to have this, this amount of finances and to have this job. It's in those moments in which we are most in danger of being disconnected with this true source of, of power. Uh, remember, again, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, again, speaking to this uh, reality, Jesus said to his disciples, those who are following him, I tell you, it's hard for someone who has it all to get into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who has everything to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus is just stating a reality. When we have it all together, it's very, very easy to feel like we are capable of being self-sufficient, that we are able to take it on on our own and maybe to even start feeling really awesome about ourselves. And so material success can lead us to disconnection with God. All right, so what else causes a person to forget about their need to be rightly aligned uh, with God? Secondly, I would say, and this goes back to the, the Bible story at the very beginning, this innate desire that we often don't really think about or maybe even comprehend, but this innate desire to be our own God. And I say innate desire, I think that all of us like to think of ourselves as being capable of being in control of our experience, of our, our lives. And there's, there's some of that that goes right back to the Genesis chapter 3 story. If you remember the, the serpent and the, and the first parents and the deception of the, the serpent was, if you eat this fruit, if you take this fruit, if you follow me, you will be like God. And there's something that is exciting to us as humans uh, with that temptation, that we can be like God, that we can be self-sufficient, that we can take care of, our, of things on our own. And so that's kind of now ingrained in our experience. Like We don't like it when people are controlling us, that are telling us, uh, what to do, and uh, we want to be our own uh, God. And so deep down inside, we have that, the desire that goes all the way back, and that, of course, inhibits us to have a full and healthy connection to the divine, to God. And so that can in inhibit us and help us to increase in hubris. Uh, finally, uh, we are challenged with being rightly aligned with God when we compare ourselves to uh, others, especially those who are more oppressed than us or those who maybe have less than us. You know, it's really easy to look at somebody else, and again, this is oftentimes subconscious because most of you are ethical enough to not do this consciously, but to look at somebody else and their situation and to think, wow, I'm glad I'm not them, and it must be something about my own character or my own person that allows me to be in the position that I'm in and them to be in the position that they are. I mean, this is the whole issue with privilege, right? Uh, people with privilege 
whatever that privilege may be, often they just assume, well, it must be because, you know, I'm better than the other person, or I'm more awesome than the other person, and it's just a blindness, it's a, a blindness to the, the reality of what's going on in the world. And so when we compare ourselves to others, this certainly just builds on this pride and hubris. They must be doing something wrong, and I must be doing something uh, right. That's, that's the idea, that's the trap that we uh, fall into. Uh, again, think of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his advice. I love that he, by the way, he gives advice, so he's there with the king, and like, and this, this is apparently not like from God, because he's very, very clear about this. He said, your majesty, please accept my advice. This is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by recognizing and being kind to the oppressed. Right? So Daniel was calling this out, like, listen, you may have been comparing yourselves to others in a, in a in a way in which only builds yourself up, but what you need to do now is to re- recognize and be kind to the oppressed. In other words, be rec- recognize and be kind to those who are, are, don't have what you have, or who have different circumstances and different situation than you are in. Recognize the privilege that you, you had, acknowledge that, that privilege, and be kind to those who don't have that privilege. This is Daniel's advice to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, which apparently he doesn't he doesn't take. By the way, he, you have this dramatic scene, this dramatic vision. It's so interesting, again, that uh, the Bible is very specific. Twelve months go by. It's a good timeline. You know, it's a good time to forget things. I mean, do you remember what happened to you 12, 12 months ago? I mean, maybe it's something incredibly dramatic. You would think that Nebuchadnezzar would have remembered this dream and it would have been like on his mind all the time. But after 12 months, apparently he's forgotten the warning He's put it out of, out of mind, and so 12 months go by, and uh, he, has, he has not remembered the oppressed, and his hubris has only grown and developed, and his pride has developed, has developed. And so, again, but he's not alone. This happens for us, too. When things are going well, the connection with God can be challenged. We start thinking that we're awesome. Uh, we have this innate desire to be like God's, and, and so that's always challenging us and our connection and our, and our alignment with who God is. And we oftentimes are comparing with ourselves with others, and it's very easy to find someone else who's in a worse situation than you are and to start thinking how awesome you are for not being in their situation, blind to your circumstances and your privilege. So with all of this in mind, like, well, what do we do? Like, well, how do, we, how do we break out of this danger of hubris and uh, pride and self-sufficiency? Like, how are we going to overcome this? Especially if there's some neat things like this desire to be like God that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Like, our, our four mothers and fathers from the very beginning had this problem. Like, how are we going to uh, break out of this? And this is where uh, we turn to Jesus uh, again. Uh, you know, Jesus had a right understanding of his need for connection and alignment with God the Father. In John chapter 5, we read, and these are, this is Jesus in his own words, the Son can do nothing by himself. The Son can do nothing by himself. See, Jesus understood the connection between uh, the vine and the branches, between the smartphone and the internet 
hotspot. He understood that connection. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus understood the connection between himself and the father. Jesus didn't forget his connection to the to the, father, even to the Father, even at the height of his success, by the way. This is from John chapter 5, where Jesus is a superstar. He's a rock star at this point in his, in his community. This is, this is before all the shame that's to come. He's a rock star, and yet he is able to call out that he can't do anything without his connection uh, to God. But, uh, but Jesus is not just an example for us, thank God, or we'd be in trouble. If it was just like, okay, well, Jesus was successful about having a great connection with God, and go out and do the same, you would be very, very bummed because you would be excited for a minute and then you would leave and you'd be like, this is not working for me. But Jesus is not just a great example for us. Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We're told that Jesus lived and then he died. He was sacrificed on our behalf and then he rose again and then he ascended. And we're told that because this happened, because Jesus, God in human form, went through this experience of, of taking our place on our behalf, we have access to power through him that we wouldn't have on our own. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, who is an expert on this subject of what, it, what Jesus living, dying, rising again, and ascending meant for humanity, he says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, again, very concerned. Paul recognizes this this issue of hubris, of pride. And so he's saying, like, God has actually chosen the the lowly. He's chosen the the broken. He chose that Jesus would come and be a, a servant and a a carpenter, and that he would die a criminal's death so that no one can boast before God. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in anything but the Lord. See, Paul knew it too. Like you gotta be, you gotta be connected. If you get out of whack, if you get out of out of alignment with the God who is the one who really provides for us and gives us power and helps us to be uh, who we are, then you're gonna be all messed up. And so, this was clearly the issue for Nebuchadnezzar, and for many of us, if not now, at some point in our experience, it's been an issue for us too. We're out of connection, and we need realignment. We start thinking really. Uh, uh, positive things about our own ability to get things done or to be the kind of person that we want to be and we compare ourselves uh, to other and we're others and we're out of alignment with the God who is the one who really gives us power. And the only, only way in which we have hope of overcoming this is through the work of Jesus. And so this leads to our final question. Well, okay, all right, if, if Jesus offers us power to overcome hubris, and pride because of the work that he's done. Like, how do we, how do we have access to this? How do we get access to this, this Jesus power? And I think there are two really easy and quick responses uh, to this. First of all, to uh, recognize that the challenges that we may face may be God's way of reconnecting with us. 
You know, some of you now are, are, are experiencing some incredible uh, challenges. Maybe it's because of hubris, maybe it's not, but you're experiencing incredible uh, challenges uh, uh, in your experience. And um, I assert that during this time of, of challenge, uh, maybe this is an opportunity to think about your connection with God. Because in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, this is clearly the issue. Nebuchadnezzar is, f- uh, is facing challenging, and I'm not saying every challenge that you face is God coming down like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. But, but sometimes God has got to get our attention. And for Nebuchadnezzar, it took making him go mad, living out in the, the wilderness and his hair getting long and his, and his fingernails becoming like, like claws. I mean, hopefully that's not what it takes to, to realign uh, you, although some of you may be feeling like that now. We need to uh, recognize that the challenges that we face sometimes may be God's way of reconnecting with us. Think about this. This is Apostle Paul again, and this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, he's talking to the church like this, and he says, we don't want you, he's talking on behalf of the other disciples, the other teachers. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. So he's referencing now some challenges that he had. Uh, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. So he's recognizing they've had challenges. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death. This was in the desperate trouble. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. So Paul is saying about his own experience, we don't know that they were exercising hubris, I mean, hopefully not, but that God was uh, using their challenge, their, their, their difficult and tumultuous experience to help them understand their need for him. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, the implication is God has power to do things beyond our capability. And so when we are disconnected with him, and that disconnect also often comes because of our own hubris or pride or, or, or just inability to be connected with him, when that happens, we are not going to have access to true power. And God doesn't want that to happen to us. He wants us to recognize our need to be wired in to him. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, to God. This is the, the next step. So we first rec- the first step is like recognize that your challenge, your trouble, may be a way of God reconnecting uh, with you. Uh, but this second assertion from uh, Peter now is to confess and uh, to pray. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that may, he may lift you up in due time. This is an encouragement. Like, so what do we do? How do we access this power uh, that Jesus has provided? We recognize that our challenges may be God's way of calling us to reconnect with him, and then we confess ways in which we've gotten out of whack, and we pray. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Therefore, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Is there a better promise or passage in all the Bible than 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? I know some of you have a lot of anxiety today. 
And some of you are feeling like really, really disconnected. Some of you may be at the height of your hubris. I don't know where you are today. So whether it's height of the hubris or you're feeling just down and, and anxiety-ridden, 1 Peter chapter 5 is for you. Whatever's going on, cast all your anxiety on God because He cares for you. And so, as we think about what it means to be successful, and we end this uh, particular journey together, we can take heart that there is a God who cares about us, who wants to take our anxiety, who wants us to be connected with Him, and who is concerned when we get disconnected and we get out of whack, and when we're, we're, we're thinking that we can take care of ourselves because He knows we cannot. On our own, we can do nothing, so cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for us. May we have success, God's success, as we cast our anxiety on Him. Amen.